This week on the show, we cover FreeBSD's second quarter of 2022 status report, FreeBSD in science, a fastest yes in the West, why programmers can't reset programs with Control-C, how to run Slack in FreeBSD's Linux Relator, and more in this week's episode of BSD Now. BSD Now, episode 469, Control-C Reset, recorded on the 10th of August 2022. This episode of BSD Now is brought to you by Tarsnap. Go to tarsnap.com slash bsdnow for online backup for truly paranoid people. And the BSD Now Patreon allows you to sponsor this episode. If you like what we're doing, you can put in a little bit of money into our tip jar and we would appreciate that. And you can also remove ads like the ones we were running um, the last couple months, years. Check this out at patreon.com slash bsdnow. Hello, I'm your host, Benedict Reuschling. And I'm Alan Jude. Welcome. This is a new episode in a new week, and we hope this finds you well. We have a big report, which is the FreeBSD second quarter of 2022 status report. Always bringing the news. So this is basically... April, May, and June of 2022, and what's happened in that time. Uh, obviously, the big news is that there is a new FreeBSD core team. Uh, so we had our election over the summer, and we have our new core team. Uh, so the 12th FreeBSD core team was elected. Uh, the new members are Baptiste Rosson, Benedict Reuschling, Ed Mast, Greg Leahy, John Baldwin, Li Wenzhou, uh, Emmanuel Vedeau, Tobias Berner, and um, Matthias Piotrowski. Yep, that's us. <laughs> I'm one yep, of them. They, <laughs> yep, uh, they had the handover meeting on June 10th. Uh, so Core 11 is out and Core 12 is in. Uh, yep, we also uh, uh, said goodbye to uh, our core team secretary, who also stepped down after he made sure that the new core team uh, was firmly in place. And we thank him for his work and also handing it over to the new core team secretary. And we hope to have a productive uh, term with everyone involved uh, and oh we already did uh, some good work we have two source commit bits uh, granted to new people so welcome uh, on this spot here and we look forward to have more people joining the project uh, then we have news from the freebsd foundation they always have a big report section in this quarterly report they talk about the fundraising efforts they've been doing uh, up to this quarter and uh, the operating system improvements that they've been sponsoring directly uh, with the staff that they have uh, that can actually focus on some of the areas of FreeBSD that need improving. Uh, for example, they list uh, FreeBSD WireGuard improvements, OpenStack on FreeBSD, Beehive issue support, and handbook improvement exploration. These are sponsored work that is uh, either ongoing or has been uh, almost completed. Continuous integration and quality assurance is what they also help support the project with supporting the FreeBSD infrastructure, like buying hardware, making sure that everything runs smoothly with together the cluster admin team. And then there's the FreeBSD advocacy and education. If you remember our last week's episode where we read uh, Anne Dickinson's report about the marketing efforts, that's uh, included in there. And of course, they've been to a lot of uh, events and presented FreeBSD where possible and uh, as well as legal and FreeBSD intellectual property is also what the foundation is responsible for or helps work with. 
Uh, then there's news from the release engineering team, which is doing all the work to make sure we have releases in the first place that work and are installable and all these other good things. Uh, yep. So during this quarter, they made sure that previously 13.1 happened. Uh, that's the second release on the stable 13 branch. Uh, that meant three beta builds, a total of six release candidates because of uh, late breaking problems. And uh, that moved the final release date to May 16th. Uh, special thanks to all the previous developers and contributors who tested 13.1 uh, release, reported problems, and uh, helped get those problems fixed. Mm -hmm. Yep. And everyone's probably happy with the uh, outcome of this release cycle. So we're all better for it. Yep. Then the cluster admin team reports that uh, during the quarter, they installed a new mirror in Sydney, Australia, hosted by the Internet Exchange of Australia, uh, fixed a number of problems with the CI cluster server hardware, uh, set up a new internal monitoring system, uh, did the regular cluster-wide software upgrades, and regularly support all the FreeBS data org user account stuff. I think also we did some work to expose all of the package builders via a IPv4 proxy, since they have only v6 addresses, and if users don't have v6 at home, then they wouldn't be able to access the logs to see you know, why a port they committed failed or whatever. Uh, that was also part of that. They're also working on some additional stuff, working with the PowerPC team to get package builders and universe machines and reference machines for that set up and running, uh, planning a hardware refresh to get rid of uh, older hardware and get some new stuff, uh, improvements in general to the package building stuff, reviewing all the service jails and the service administrator operations and making sure all that works and helping to improve uh, things for the website and the documentation uh, working with DocEng and just in general, improving the web services architecture, uh, improving the backup plans and uh, working on log analysis. Mm -hmm. All good things happening behind the scenes, but nevertheless important. Uh, and they do point out they're also looking for a new site for a European mirror. Uh, a full mirror will need about five servers uh, to be able to host, you know, FTP packages uh, and downloads and, and all the, uh, you know, Git repo and all that stuff. Uh, so if you know somewhere where uh, would be able to donate like that many servers and that much co-location space, uh, definitely reach out to cluster again. Mm -hmm. uh, then there's a report from the continuous integration team. Uh, what they did is during the second quarter, they continued working with the contributors and developers in the project to fulfill their testing needs and also keep collaborating with external projects and companies to improve the products in FreeBSD. They completed the following task, fixed the hardware issue, uh, failure of the CI cluster, which was big, that kind of affected uh, the, the whole CI uh, infrastructure, basically. And they have a couple of things working in progress. Uh, to design and implement a pre-commit CI building and testing infrastructure. A workflow working group has been uh, working on this. Uh, they also designed and implement or plan to uh, a use of CI cluster to build release artifacts as release engineering does. Testing and merging pull requests, simplifying CI test environment, setting up for contributors and developers, setting up CI stage environment and putting the experimental jobs on that organizing the scripts in FreeBSD CI repository to prepare for merging to the source repo and updating documents on the wiki. Yep. The, the ports team has their update. Uh, they saw 9,137 commits by 151 different committers to the main branch, plus an additional 589 commits by 61 committers that were backported to the stable branch. As of the time of writing, there are 2,700 open uh, PRs about ports 
uh, of which 682 are not assigned to someone. Uh, compared to the previous quarter, there was a slight decrease in commit activity uh, and about a constant number of new PRs. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, also, during the last quarter, port, ma uh, port manager welcomed back uh, Salvadore at, but also said goodbye to seven port committers due to lack of activity. In its bi-weekly, uh, sorry, in its bi-weekly meetings, port managers discussed the future of the CA root NSS uh, package, the feasibility of the base system providing certain uh, .pc files, which defines you know where to find libraries and stuff, ways to deal with incompatibility in kernel module ports on minor versions. So making sure that the VirtualBox ports uh, work. For example, right now, uh, the packages available on 13.0 and 13.1 are compiled on 13.0 and might not work properly on 13.1 and how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. Then there's some other projects, including updates to the Linux compatibility layer. Uh, Dimitri Shenjin uh, and Edward Naparella working on that. Uh, the goal of the project is to improve FreeBSD's ability to execute unmodified Linux binaries. Current support status for specific Linux applications are being tracked on the wiki. Uh, they implemented the year 2038 Linux project uh, is now mostly finished. All of the underscore time 64 system calls are uh, emulated properly. The state of ARM 64 Linux emulation was brought uh, to the state of about where AMD 64 is. So now, uh, you know, implements VDSO, it has machine dependent uh Futexes, signal delivery, and everything. So uh, running Linux ARM binaries on FreeBSD ARM processors uh, works about as well as running uh, Linux binaries on, uh, you know, x86. Cool. 64. The thread affinity system calls were modified uh, to better implement the Linux semantics. Uh, on total, about 50 bugs were fixed, and glibc 2.34 test suite now reports fewer than 80 failed tests. And all of this has been merged to the Stable 13 branch. Uh, they also uh, did initial support for uh, Linux system call tracing via libsysdecode and kdub, uh, although that's still a work in progress. Okay, then another project is Go on FreeBSD 64, uh, RISC 64 architecture. Uh, they port Go, the, the programming language, on FreeBSD RISC 64, which builds and passes all run.bash tests, including CGO, tested under QMU and on unmatched. And a pull request is created upstream, and the proposal has been added to the active column of the proposals project and will be reviewed at the weekly proposal review meetings. Yep. And then FreeBSD on Microsoft Hyper-V and Azure. Uh, they've automated the image building and publishing process, and there is now ZFS-based images available in the ARM or the Azure marketplace. Oh yeah. Uh, and they're also fixing issues booting uh, under Hyper-V Gen 2 VMs on Azure as well. Uh, another big one from Mark Johnson is ZFS support in MakeFS. So MakeFS is a tool that allows you to create a file system in an image without having to be root. So you don't have to, you know, create an MD device or anything like that. Basically allows you to take a directory full of files and say, make that into a disk image of this file system. Already has support for doing it for like FAT32 and UFS and so on. But it now has the ability to actually make a ZFS pool without even having to load the ZFS kernel module. Uh, so it allows you as a regular user or your CI system or whatever to make a ZFS pool as a disk image that you can boot in a VM or off a USB stick or whatever uh, without having to have any privileges to do so. Excellent. Yeah, and this will make it much easier, as mentioned in the Azure item, to have images, you know, VM images pre-built using ZFS without having to need a bunch of extra infrastructure. 
Mm-hmm. I will look into that when I am back at work with our uh, OpenStack inst- instance. Yep. So the follow-up work there is basically to enable creating ZFS-based VMs and cloud images as part of the release framework in FreeBSD. Mm-hmm. Very good. Edmast also led the effort to update the base version of OpenSSH. Uh, so FreeBSD's head now provides OpenSSH 9.0. Uh, so that's, you know, a lot of updates happened there. One big thing to note is that switches SCP from using the old legacy SCP slash RCP protocol to basically being a wrapper around SFTP. Uh, it does provide a dash O flag to uh, fall back to the old method if somehow it's not working for you. Um, we also see an update from Christoph and Reed Linneman about uh, PF. So PF recently grew support for filtering on the Ethernet layer. Uh, so there's a PF underscore Ethernet uh, report back in last year's Q2 report. Uh, since then, the Ethernet layer filtering has been extended. It now has anchor support, the ability to look into the layer three header for matching for source and destination IP addresses. So you can block on the Ethernet layer by reading some of the headers from the, the layer four. Um, or sorry, layer three. Uh, it also has table support for IP address matching, uh, direct dispatch to dummy net, and it is able to pass Ethernet layer packets directly to dummy net rather than tagging the packets and relying on layer three to handle the dummy net. Uh, so also dummy net, re, uh, PF recently started being able to use dummy net for packet scheduling. So in the past, DummyNet was only part of IPFW, uh, but Christoph and the team there have separated it out to be agnostic and made it so you can use it directly in PF uh, if you want. Whereas before, you had to basically have both PF and IPFW running uh, and have IPFW just do the shaping and PF actually do the filtering. Uh, and that was kind of icky. Um, and so with this, you can now have your DummyNet rules apply directly via PF. Ah, I see. Uh, so the support has been extended and improved and is now believed to be ready for production. One notable fix is that the reply to slash route to traffic is now subject to dummy net scheduling as well. So that doesn't uh, allow those packets to escape. Uh, they also updated the last match timestamp. So PF now tracks when a rule was last matched, uh, similar to how IPFW rule timestamps work. These timestamps internally are a UNT32, uh, a snapshot of the wall time. Uh, which is the system clock in seconds. The timestamp is CPU local and updated each time a rule or a state is matched. So that will allow you to print out all your PF rules and see the last time a packet matched it so that you can see, all right, no, no packet has matched this rule in months. Maybe my rule's not working the way I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. It can make it much easier to tell when your rule's uh, actually working or you know, how often you're blocking things. <laughs> Very nice. Then there's parts of the kernel uh, updates and ENA FreeBSD driver update is happening. This is the Elastic Network Adapter you can find in the virtualized environment of Amazon's web services, AWS. And that supports multiple transmit and receive queues, for example, and can handle up to 100 gigabits per second of network traffic. And they completed the following since the last update. They upstreamed the ENA driver version 2.5.0. Uh, they improved uh, the reset counting handling extension to the timer service lifetime in order to be able to detect more hardware failures. They fixed logic for verifying TX request IDs, uh, IPv6 L4 checksum offloading, handling for the tr- uh, transmit queue, add NUMA awareness to the driver, and code cleanups for the reset handling improvements, logging improvements, and all many more. 
other big interesting one here is BlueD, the new Bluetooth configuration daemon. Uh, so BlueD utility provides an IPC interface that allows unprivileged users to connect to and use Bluetooth devices in a user-friendly way and supports uh, secure, simple pairing, making it much easier to use Bluetooth devices on FreeBSD, especially as an, a regular user. Uh-huh. Also cool. Uh, so they're looking for more testing uh, and then eventually basically getting this uh, integrated into FreeBSD. Yep. They provide uh, instructions how you can help and what they want to help you test with. Yep. Then we have uh, OpenVPN DCO. Uh, so OpenVPN's new data channel offload moves OpenVPN data processing into the kernel instead of in user space. So traditionally, OpenVPN has used the TUN uh, interface to transmit and receive packets in user space. Uh, this setup received packet, or in that setup, packets are received by the kernel, then passed out uh, to the OpenVPN application, where they're then decrypted and passed back into the kernel for network stack processing. Uh, but that requires several trips back and forth between user space and the kernel, and that uh, you know has a performance cost. So with this new if underscore OVPN, you basically have a special OpenVPN driver available in FreeBSD that can do the encryption decryption entirely in the kernel meaning you're not having to make all these round trips. Uh, so some initial performance testing shows that on their sample machine, uh, this went from about 660 megabits per second to over two gigabits per second uh, with the same CPU. So yeah, you're getting uh, saving a lot by not making multiple trips in and out of the kernel, especially with, you know, the things like the Heartbleed, or not Heartbleed, uh, Spectre and Meltdown mitigations, making that trip in, back and forth between the kernel more expensive. The user space OpenVPN code also requires modifications uh, to actually use the new OVPN offload driver. This is expected to be part of OpenVPN 2.6.0. Hmm. And then another one that a lot of us are, are waiting for is there's an update on wireless from Bjorn uh, Zeeb. The overall project aims to bring support for the newer chipsets to FreeBSD, currently using the Linux KPI compact code, uh, backed by the native 802.11 uh, stack and the kernel code. In addition, the aim is to continue work uh, towards supporting newer wireless standards. So during the second quarter, there were 40 commits that went into FreeBSD Kernet, uh, with more users trying multiple devices, support time has also gone up. Uh, in earlier versions of the Intel IWL Wi-Fi derived wireless driver that shipped in 13.1, uh, bring this work into the uh, an initial FreeBSD release and getting it out in front of a lot more people. The IWL driver and firmware were since added to current and stable 13 again as part of ongoing development. Uh, changes in files shared with upstream Intel Linux uh, are now less than 400 lines, meaning that it's easy to stay up to date. Uh, lately, a, a longer standing problem for older chipsets uh, is hopefully being solved by allowing the IWM supported cards to work with the IWL Wi-Fi driver uh, after about three months of that not working. The main focus of the project until the end of the year will most uh, be exclusively working on uh, contemporary speeds. So supporting newer uh, standards and getting the speed of Wi-Fi up. Back on April 1st, using the same Linux KPI infrastructure uh, that was built for the IWL work, we also got the Realtek RTW88 driver uh, committed to current. Due to an issue with DMA, uh, the next week's uh, a workaround was delivered and put into trees so the users no longer have to patch the kernel. Uh, the driver still needs a tunable set in loader.com for machines that have more than four gigs of RAM because of the bug. This tunable allowed the driver to be merged to stable 13 in June following uh, further updates in current and stable 13. 
as the USB parts uh, for the RTW88 based chipsets are prepared uh, to be included in Linux, work has started, but still needs more time uh, to prepare support for those USB versions of that device on FreeBSD as well. Uh, during the last month, they've also worked on Realtek's RTW89 device, has already been compiled and remains uh, a work in progress uh, to run stably and associate before it can then get committed to current. Thanks to all the users for testing and reporting back, patiently waiting for the next update, bug fix, or just a reply. It has been a great pleasure to work with you. Keep sending bug reports, but remember uh, that your thanks should go to the FreeBSD Foundation for making all of this possible. For the latest state of development, please follow the FreeBSD wireless mailing list and check the wiki pages. Uh -huh. Big update, definitely. A lot of work. Yep. Uh, another interesting one here is medium-sized super pages on ARM64 and beyond. The ARM64 architecture table, uh, page table descriptor format contains a flag called the contiguous bit. This tells the MMU that it can cache an aligned physically contiguous group of 16 page table entries, which have identical permissions and attributes using only one uh, TLB entry. The contiguous bit, as well as the conceptually similar SVNA pot extension uh, for RISC-V, allow the use of 64 kilobyte superpages. These medium-sized superpages can bring a small memory uh, can bring a smaller memory objects and address translator speedup typically associated with the more traditional two megabyte superpages, but with only needing 64 megabytes of contiguous memory. This project focuses on bringing support for medium-sized superpages to FreeBSD. So far, we have modified the ARM64 PMAP code to automatically utilize these 64 kilobyte superpages by detecting physically contiguous page table entries and promoting them using that contiguous bit. Now we're working to adapt the kernel's superpage reservation module to support 64 kilobyte reservations in addition to the current 2 megabyte ones. Uh, adding medium-sized reservations will allow the virtual memory system to explicitly allocate pieces of memory which fit the requirements to later be promoted to superpages, rather than just hoping that this might occur by chance. So the system, you know, when it sees a bunch of pages in a row, it can promote that, but it also now will try to bias towards creating those conditions where possible uh, so that you have the best chance of getting that advantage. Uh -huh, amazing. The goal is to accomplish this in a general way that makes it possible to specify multiple arbitrary power of two reservation sizes, making it easier to take advantage of these hardware features in other platforms. Uh, for example, AMD's Ryzen PTE coalescing, which transparently merges groups of 4K page table entries into a medium-sized super page. And thanks to the Computer Science Department of Rice University for supporting that work. Mm-hmm. And then we have the documentation project. Uh, the DocEng team is working on uh, a whole lot of stuff and has granted a couple of doc commit bits to people. Uh, current things they're working on is mirroring the website and documentation portal using the GeoDNS infrastructure so that uh, the website will load faster. And also looking at how to handle trademark in the documentation, how to annotate those properly, and removing a bunch of outdated translations from the website and documentation portal. I remember a couple of years ago ripping down, I think it was the French translation of the download page in FreeBSD because the download page uh, was still mentioning like alpha in architectures that had been discontinued long, long ago. Uh, yeah. and the translation had never been updated. <laughs> that doesn't help anyone. Yeah. So looking at their translation project for the website there, as of Q2, they have uh, 12 languages currently being used and 152 registered users uh, working on translations. Uh, and nine of those are new this quarter. Really? And they're working on both simplified and traditional Chinese, uh, Dutch, French, German, Indonesian, Italian, Norwegian, 
Persian, Portuguese, Spanish, and Turkish translations. Yeah, and everyone can help sign up on the Weblight instance and start translating. Yep, and then working on the general website revamp, uh, you probably have noticed the documentation portal now looks all new. It's responsive, so it works better on uh, various screen sizes and has a global search. Uh, they're now working on doing uh, similar improvements for all the man pages. Uh, and then they're looking at building something for ports and creating basically an application portal. Uh, that'll be nice. Mm -hmm. And then once all that's done, uh, looking at redesigning the main FreeBSD website, uh, making that also responsive and maybe having a dark theme. Mm -hmm. nice. Then in ports, uh, obviously the KDE team is keeping on top of things and, and has lots of interesting stuff going on with KDE. Uh, there's also uh, updates to GCC. Basically, the default version of GCC is moving from 10 to 11 and dealing with all the follow-up from that. Uh, also, making the GCC bootstrapping use link time optimization for GCC itself uh, when compiling GCC 11 and newer, uh, allowing you know improved GCC. Uh, they've also started adding the GCC 12 and 13 versions to port so people can test that. Uh, and also GCC 9 has been updated to 9.5. Uh, also big news is Valgrind has been fixed uh, so that it works properly on FreeBSD 13.1 and 14.0. So huge thanks to Paul Floyd uh, of Valgrind uh, for getting it brought back up on FreeBSD. Mm -hmm. It is a very invaluable tool, and I missed it when it didn't work on FreeBSD for a bit there. Uh, helps you debug all those crazy uh, bugs that typically are hard to find. Pantheon desktop on FreeBSD was also ported or is made available. Uh, this is the desktop environment uh, designed for elementary OS. It builds on GNOME technologies such as Mutter, GNOME Shell, GTK3 and 4, and is written in Vala. Uh, this is a new desktop for users, that's the overall goal. Some features are not well supported, but we can have a full session. Yep, and then lastly, we have a feature complete port of Intel's IGT GPU tools. Um, basically, it serves as a generic test suite for DRM drivers on Linux. And this GPU tool suite is separated into tests and tools that target KMS, memory management, and command submission. The utility provides low-level reporting for uh, transparent tracking of kernel changes and efficient debugging of modern DRM drivers. Since FreeBSD is using those drivers via the Linux KPI, having that testing tool is really invaluable. Uh, and that means that we now have a proper KMS-driven test suite, which also increases code output uh, and brings the FreeBSD desktop experience up to speed with what's available on Linux. The project officially started under a FreeBSD Google Summer of Code. Uh, and then the adapted code can compile uh, with non-FreeBSD compatible snippets removed. The plan is to re-implement those snippets as a POSIX compliant fashion. And notably, uh, incompatible code includes uh, debugfs and libkmod and libprocps and so on that are all very Linux specific. Uh, if you'd like to assist with porting things like libkmod or libprocps uh, into the ports tree, don't hesitate to reach out to uh, the contact list on the report here. Mm -hmm. And then with that code complete, you basically run the modified IGT tests using the, uh, the host for graphics processors on FreeBSD 14, and then be able to test those graphics drivers and have better confidence in our DRM driver. Yeah. So thank you to everyone who sent a report and wrote it in the first place, and also the team behind the status reports that makes it possible that we have all in one place and can read nicely from top to bottom. That's certainly appreciated. All right, next up, we have FreeBSD and Science from the FreeBSD Foundation blog. That's a guest post uh, by Jason Bacon. 
And Jason writes, FreeBSD has always been an exceptional platform for scientific computing, thanks in large part to its unrivaled reliability. This allows for computational analyses that need to run for weeks or months, a risky proposition on many platforms. Even if an intensive application or analysis can be parallelized, restarts are still expensive in terms of time, compute resources and electric bills. The FreeBSD port system is another advantage for scientific computing. It facilitates instant installation of over 30,000 software packages, with the option to build any of them from source using non-portable optimizations such as uh, architecture equals native, for example. This can make a big difference in runtime for software that benefits from the latest SSE and AVX CPU features. FreeBSD ports has been continued has seen continued growth and maturation in the scientific categories, now boasting over 2,000 scientific ports across astro, biology, uh, computer-aided design, math, and science, with the biology category recently surging past the 200 mark to 228. A major milestone is the Biostar Tools meta port, which makes it trivial for FreeBSD users to install all of the software needed to learn from the Biostar handbook, that's linked from there, uh, the premier introductory text for budding bioinformaticians. The fully integrated ZFS file system makes it possible to deploy systems with ZFS in minutes. ZFS offers major benefits to scientific computing, such as the performance boost and data integrity provided by software RAID, encryption, and data compression. The LZ4 compression feature is particularly useful, as it reduces the need for explicit compression using GSIP, BSIP2, or XZ. Using explicit compression hinders the use of text processing tools, especially tools that use seek operations to achieve major speed gains, such as tail. And in addition to FreeBSD's long-standing advantages, there have been many developments since they uh, wrote for the FreeBSD Journal's Big Data Edition in summer 28, uh, 2018. Um, Personally, Jason moved out of HPC systems management, which is high-performance computing, largely referring to the use of parallel computing clusters, into the bioinformatics field, where he can focus less on systems management and more on software development and scientific research. FreeBSD has been his primary development platform, as he endeavors to improve access to high-performance, easy-to-use bioinformatics software by developing new libraries such as libextend and biolibc, along with many new applications based on them. Uh, most of his major goals, or one of his major goals, is to expedite bioinformatics research by developing tools that are easier to install and use and run much faster, often rendering HPC unnecessary. Currently, there are many bottlenecks caused by the use of interpreted languages such as Perl, Python, and R, or simply by poor software design and or the implementation. FreeBSD has facilitated this work immensely by providing easy setup and management, along with all of the mainstream tools and libraries needed for scientific software development. And that goes on for a while. So I'll definitely recommend you check out the full article because not many uh, of these things are well known. And I guess this write-up is a nice introduction to the whole space and how open source software benefits this area as well. Yep. I just maybe the conclusion at the bottom here is saying, the future of FreeBSD as a scientific computing platform has never looked brighter. Looking back over more than two decades of utilizing FreeBSD, both for my own work and in production environments at research institutions, I see a continual and marked reduction in barriers to adoption. The vast majority of scientific computing needs uh, are now easily and readily matched by FreeBSD systems. A few remaining proprietary tools, such as CUDA, still present some hurdles, but with open alternatives, such as OpenCL and OpenMP, gaining ground, the two is likely to disappear before too long. Mm -hmm. Cool. 
In our news roundup, we have the fastest yes in the West for you. Uh, this started on Stack Exchange's Code Golf section uh, with a timeout one second for yes uh, redirected to out, which yields a file that is 1.9 gigabytes in size compared to a measly uh, puts, main while puts and stuff, which yields a measly 150 megabytes. And here we have a specific link within that thread where other people uh, discuss this with an x86-64 machine code with Linux system calls, 29 bytes times 4.7 divided by 6.6 .6, equaling 20.6 on tempfs on Skylake. Yeah, so they say that this version runs faster than GNU yes on tempfs, the way they use Linux RAM disk-like file system backed by the page cache. He says, uh, I made sure to align my buffers uh, to at least a cache line boundary, and in fact at 4K page boundary. So the kernel's copy from user memcopy-like function using uh, could use the move SB uh, instruction. Uh, he said, originally he didn't expect this to outperform yes uh, when writing to an SSD on a fast Ryzen CPU, which isn't the bottleneck, uh, but interesting there. And then they show a bunch of example code there and, and what they've uh, been trying. A lot of details, yeah. Yeah, they specifically mentioned they tested using tempfs because they didn't want to wear out their SSD just by repeatedly writing a bunch of data to it. That was just the word yes over and over again <laughs> or whatever. Uh, and because keeping up with consumer-grade SSDs is trivial with any reasonable buffer size, uh, but more interesting to them is to find the CPU memory-bound sweet spot between the system call overhead for making too many small write calls versus the L2 cache misses of making too large calls. And noting that right inside the kernel is basically just a mem copy from the provided buffer into the page cache, specifically Linux's copy from user function, uh, which uses, again, that move SB instruction on systems that have the ERM SB uh, feature, which is, I think came in Ivy Bridge uh, or so, or move SQ when it's faster, like the Pentium Pro and older things in non-Intel CPUs. Uh, according to using the perf tool on Linux to record it, with 128K buffer size, 40% of the counts for hardware cycles were in that clear page ERMS, so uh, emptying the page when they're done, and 18.4% were in copy user enhanced fast string, uh, which does that move SB that we talked about. Only about 63% of total CPU time was spent on the real work of actually copying into the page cache. Uh, and that happens inefficiently, zeroing before copying and a bunch of things like that. Now, they also tried a couple of different uh, settings like uh, telling tempfs not to use Hughes pages, uh, and they only got 4.8 gigabytes for one second, um, whereas they got 6.6 .6 gigabytes with huge pages. Mm, okay. Wow. And they break down some of that. A lot of details, yeah. But yeah, it looks like this thread is is just all different people trying to write as fast as they can uh, and seeing what they can get. Yeah, in various languages. <laughs> nice challenge. Okay, something that you've probably uh, done at least once in your Unix career, pressing Control-C. But here we found an article that, uh, well, argues why programmers can't reset programs with Control-C, but used to be able to, and why they should be able to again. So Kevin Lawler writes, uh, when a programmer presses Control-C inside of a command line program, that program 
should stop what it's doing, return to the nearest sensible restart position, and allow you to continue where you left off. This isn't much different from insisting on one-button builds, except that it's an older phenomenon. Programs actually used to work this way. You could press Ctrl-C to get him to give you back control. Only now they don't really. More often than not, uh, he finds himself having to kill the running process from an external app, such as the shell, after first figuring out what the process ID is. Not only is this awkward and inconvenient, but it guarantees that you lose everything that you were working on. When you hit Ctrl-C, a program should return control to you while keeping as much as your work intact as possible. In general, Ctrl-C is the same as kill with sig term, and so it generally tells the program to exit, not to just return control to you. Yeah, yeah, so that's the, that's the but, shortcut. Yeah, it might have been different in the past, which I think is what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, these days, uh, what usually happens, the program gets stuck in some sort of tight C loop, such as a for loop, and it becomes unreachable to the outside world. Even if the original author was clever and added yields function to or at certain checkpoints inside the app, invariably some optimization is going to require a tight C loop, and that loop isn't going to be looking for an opportunity to break. Inevitably, the tight C loop is exactly where you wish you had a checkpoint, because in practice, that's where the program is going to get stuck. Maybe you can get around this by forcing your app to perpetually round-trip checkpoints, but then your app is slow. The explanation for why we have gotten ourselves into this mess is complicated, but he will do his best to explain. Terminating the process with a kill command is always going to work, eventually, for a variety of reasons. For one, the operating system is going to insist on some kind of ability to end processes, and it makes sense to expose this functionality to the user. And two, to get into the guts of it. On POSIX systems, the termination signals are unignorable. Using Ctrl-C generates a different signal, SIGINT, but that signal is ignorable, and if, the, and if it isn't ignored, it terminates your program by default. Ah, yes, that's a good point. Ctrl-C doesn't actually send SIGTERM, it sends SIGINT, uh, but if you don't have a handler for that, it turns into uh, SIGTERM. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so SIGINT allows programs to exit gracefully, while SIGTERM... Mm -hmm. Doesn't well, no, sig term is exit gracefully versus sig kill, which is ungracefully. Oh, right, the other sig way, sig int is just interrupt, which could actually mean just return control to me. You don't have to exit, mm. yeah. And the rest of the article talks about uh, how this could be done, especially when multi threading is involved and signals uh, <laughs> from of the dark areas of operating systems, and yeah, discusses ways of how this could be reinstated to actually be able to restore a program state or reset to a certain point yeah like you talked a little bit here about you know in the old days what you needed to do was to have a sigint handler uh, that would deal with that when it came in the problem is because of the way signals work you know your program's in the middle of who knows what and when you get the signal you don't really know where in your program you were and so making sure that you can recover from there and that you don't end up you know leaking memory or something every time you get interrupted uh it turns out signals are kind of terrible uh yeah and so basically what you'd have to do is make the sigint handler basically set a global flag or something that you'd have to have checkpoints for throughout your program to then pause at some point but you know generally when someone hits Control c they want you to stop right away not you know finish the item you're currently on and then return to me or whatever hmm. but yeah it's interesting uh I could definitely see the appeal of, of making things work better. 
Yeah, yeah, especially with such a popular <laughs> Control C invocation and shortcut. Yeah, and they admit at the bottom here, most apps can probably not be retrofitted with Control C support, where it actually means you know, give me Control, not exit. Any sufficiently mature project that didn't bake it in from the beginning is probably too late to be saved. But I'm trying to think about the practical effects involved in doing this in a popular project, and it seems to be an if aliens have threatened to destroy Earth type problem. Adding Control C is going to be infeasible after the fact if it's a heroic effort to put it in from the beginning. I don't think it makes a lot of sense to needle projects uh, in this state, but I do think it makes sense to encourage project maintainers to build the Control C support into their project going forward if they are capable of doing so. The time to build in Control C support uh, is at the start of the project, which makes it much easier to carry it along all the way through. Hmm. Right. Cool. All right, then next up, we have uh, running Slack in FreeBSD's Linux Elator. Uh, Goran Mekic, hope that's correct, um, has on his blog the instructions how to do that. Yeah, so he says, uh, as some applications are Linux only, it's very handy to have the Linux layer available to run them. In short, I just followed the Linux browser install instructions, uh, but added Slack and Viber with uh, Pulse Audio setup. Although Pulse Audio setup contains Linux browser or is contained within the Linux browser install, it is the most important part. Once the browser was installed, I copied the script to make Slack and Viber work. After downloading the deb files, stage rooting into the Linux directory and installing them, uh, he was able to basically run user bin Slack and uh, be able to run Slack. It has all the details there on how to get uh, Slack running uh, in a Linux. Uh, Sage root on FreeBSD. Mm -hmm. You cannot hide on, on BSDs anymore or FreeBSD to run Slack. <laughs> yeah, can't hide from Slack anymore. Okay, and uh, I guess that's all the time we have this week. So uh, thank you for joining, and uh, we'll try to get to this feedback that we got uh, next week. Yep, sooner than later. You won't miss us, hopefully. <laughs> Too long. <laughs> Goodbye.